Welcome to Living in This Queer Body, a podcast about barriers to embodiment and how our collective body stories can bring us back to ourselves. I'm Asher Pangeris, and thank you so much for joining me on our fifth podcast episode. I'm really excited about everything that's been happening in terms of the community support, ideas flowing, keep them coming. If you have connections or ideas about really great guests, help me connect with cool people. I want to talk to them. And speaking of cool people, after you subscribe to this podcast, give me a five-star review, DM me your honest feedback, and spread the word about the podcast and maybe even go over to my website, livinginthisqueerbody.com and support me on Patreon. Um, all that money goes towards editing and transcription costs. Right. So after you do all of that, please tune in for this episode with Lindsay Mack. Lindsay is someone who, as you may be able to tell in the course of the interview, is someone who's really important to me and has been a big support in my evolution as a more grounded person. And she is just so honest and so enthusiastic about being a person who's learning and being a person who knows a tremendous amount about herself and is a teacher and guide to many and also is tremendously humble around what she still has to learn and is curious about in the world. And I, I really respect that stance. I feel hopeful that more of us queerly bodied people can learn to be so curious and also break down some of our defended parts and be able to kind of be curious about where we need to learn or where we need to grow in certain ways. Yeah. So we're all, we all manifest that or express that in different ways, but I think the way that Lindsay is doing that and navigating a lot of bodily and psychic distress at the same time, learning about pleasure and learning about learning um, is really is really amazing. And so I'm really honored that she came on this podcast. I'm looking forward to um, you all hearing from her and checking out her work. Lindsay Mack is an intuitive tarot teacher, writer, and the founder of Tarot for the Wild Soul. She's the creator of Soul Tarot, a way of interpreting and intentionally utilizing the tarot as a tool for self-care, healing, and evolution through an inclusive, trauma-friendly, soul-centered perspective. Soul Tarot is a fusion of Lindsay's 22 years of experience reading and studying tarot, her work with her mentor, her own healing journey through complex PTSD and chronic illness, and channeled wisdom from her guides. Through her regularly sold-out workshops, retreats, and online tarot courses, Lindsay has had the profound honor of teaching soul tarot to thousands of people from all over the world. Without further ado, here is Lindsay Mack. 
So, Lindsay, thank you for being here. I really it appreciate it. And highest honor. Sorry, oh. so much so that I had to interrupt you. <laughs> Sorry. You interrupt anytime. Anytime <laughs> This is just a conversation between us. But I actually have been starting each each episode with a question. What did you learn early on in your life about having or being in a body? What I think I learned through no fault of anyone was that it was completely unsafe to be in or have a body. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Almost like to a hilariously uniform degree. <laughs> like I remember empathically being very overloaded as an intuitive being very overloaded mm-hmm. as a little one who had a lot of allergies and dietary issues that I didn't realize until I was older and mm-hmm. just kind of like was always in pain or inflamed. Um, it was painful and frightening to have a body and be in a body and no adults around me. Um, this isn't their fault, but I didn't have any examples of anyone who cherished their body. I had examples of people who were trying to get out of their bodies or hated their bodies and talked to me about it. Um, and I was in, a, in an abusive home. So it was also unsafe to be alive in the body. Um, and yeah, I don't, I, I spent like all my time trying to get out of the body. Like, so that is what I think I was shown. If, if I wasn't told it directly, I was very well groomed to feel that it was completely unsafe to be home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely relate to a lot of that. And I think yeah. a lot of our listeners too can relate to that and a lot of my patients that I've worked with. I think, you know, something that really stands out to me is this idea that everyone around you also was trying to escape their bodies. And so I imagine it came as quite a surprise to you when somehow you realized that you had a body that was in pain or realized that, I mean, I I wonder what that, I know that you probably had sensations of pain or discomfort or feelings as a child, but when do you feel like you really kind of came into some kind of confrontation with like, oh, this is the body that I've been trying to ignore or set aside or cast aside for a while? I'm smiling because I have to be really honest with you. I feel like that has only just started happening about four months ago. Mm. I have always had chronic pain and inflammation and just like didn't understand that I was a part of that community, that that applied to me. Like when people would talk to me, my clients would talk to me about being in chronic pain. I would be like, yes, I understand. But I didn't understand that I was too. Mm. It's insane. But I was constantly in pain. There was never a time when I didn't have back pain, neck pain. I was always getting injured. Like there was no... There was no time that I feel like I've never known a time when I haven't been in physical pain and I just didn't get it that it's like, you also have chronic pain. And, um, I also like totally didn't get 
until very recently that I have a lot of autoimmune issues. And um, like I, I understood, like I knew and I had received the diagnosis and I was kind of like, okay, great, great, great. And then I would sort of like walk away and I just didn't. And that's honestly, that's a big thing about me is that I, my slowest place, the place that I'm the most humbled always at the place that keeps me and has always kept me like as compassionate and patient with my clients as I have is like, this is my area that I have more blind spots around than anywhere. Cause I just wasn't given the permission. Like I just, nobody ever, I mean, I say this like I'm like I'm unique. I think there are a lot of us out there like that, especially those of us like who are part of a certain generation. Like I was born in like the early eighties. And I think mm. like none of my family members gave a shit how I was feeling about something. And I think that that's, you know, I think that still happens, but I feel like that's also a generational thing if I can say that. So I feel like just like, honestly, like four months ago, was really like the first time that, and, and my wake up call to that actually was I have been really dealing with like a pelvic pain experience that comes and goes and sometimes flares and sometimes doesn't. And like, what an initiator. And that's, a that's like, I feel like kind of an over spiritualized way of putting that because I still don't like it and I hate it <laughs> and I wish it would go away. But I also am like, I mean, for anyone who experiences this, like when you're in major, major pelvic flaring pain and know you understand this, Asher, like you can't even, like there was a time in December where I couldn't even like walk Mm. for real for too long. It's, you know, and that brought me home finally after basically 35 years of being like perpetuating the abusive languaging and behaviors with my body that my caretakers did with me, which was like, fall in line. Don't fuck this up for me. If you get into pain or if you have issues, I'm not going to be able to do what I want to do. Like that was kind of under me. Every time something happened with my body, I really saw it from a victimhood perspective. And it wasn't until literally December that I was like, this body is my partner. Mm. Like she is my consort and my child and my love and like this is not her fault and it wasn't my fault and so I feel like I'm fumbling around a little bit as like a new parent but like I just didn't get it I just did not get it until I kept having to go to doctors and they would be like well are you in pain and I kept being like I guess I am kind of all the time you know like yeah and I just didn't get it It Mm -hmm. and weirdly since I've discovered it different things have come into my life for me to take proactive action to like eat in a way that supports my autoimmune issues. And so I have a little bit less pain. So it's interesting because I still get flare ups, but it's not kind of constant um, Mm. quite the same as it was. Anyway, that was a long answer, but I feel like it's quite recent for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how, and I, I, you know, I can relate to this, but it's amazing how navigating something that's so chronic can, you know, almost make us, you know, it's especially with the background you have, what, you know, 
what it takes, like the extreme nature of what it takes to actually figure out or decide. And I think it's also a constellation of like the people in our life, or I don't know what else you factor in that kind of, you know, extreme pain is one thing, but also yeah. it must have, there must have been other things that kind of set you up to finally reckon with this, totally. the chronicity of the pain and discomfort mm-hmm. that has been sort of humming along for a long time. Yeah. Um, I don't know Definitely. if what comes to mind when you think about that. Well, I do think that there's just been, there's been a number of things, you know, there's been I've been given like, it sounds weird to say this, but like, I feel like I've been handed a number of physical things that have been like, basically like, let go or you're going to really get dragged. And it Mm -hmm. was like, I just didn't get it until really recently. But as I've been kind of navigating this world of like, now that I know about some of these communications from these parts of the bodies that are really this, these parts of my body that are really talking to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just, yeah, it's just like, um, it's so funny because I know you will completely understand this, but like I've been in therapy my entire life and I'm not afraid of going to anything. That's what I thought that I was just like, I had no problem. And now I'm working with like sexuality. I'm working with like you know, uh, experiencing a termination. Like I'm working with like uncovering the things that, and it's the first time in my memory of, of consistently working through my stuff with a caretaker or a um, space holder that I've been like, Oh, I don't want to go to therapy today. (laughs) Cause it's like so big. Yeah. It's so big. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's just incredible. So I know I didn't quite answer your question, but I feel like I'm still kind of figuring out this. It's a little bit more spiralic for me. Yeah. 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 So tell, you know, let's talk a little bit if you are open to it about how this experience has sort of forced you into a confrontation with your sexuality and maybe you can talk a little bit about your maybe how you were relating to your sexuality before maybe I wonder and I I wonder if in some ways there were parts of you that weren't really being fully expressed or acknowledged and that part of this confrontation with the body and pain and, and everything that you've been uncovering has sort of I imagine activated different thoughts or, you know, totally yeah, just curious how that's all played out. Yeah, totally. So, um, I, this all, I'm never, I have not spoken about this anywhere, but, uh, last April I got unexpectedly pregnant mm. and had a very traumatic experience with termination. Mm. Um, and in fact had to, had a failed first time and had to go back and do it a second time. And it was really hard. But I mentioned that because, um, and I probably, like I most likely won't talk about it anywhere else. Like it feels right to share Mm -hmm. the story, but I share it because really that's the core of this. Like Mm -hmm. that, the entire experience was really, um, that was the wake up call. That was the start. Before that, I would have told you probably my aneurysm diagnosis was the start. And that was kind of the start. But in April, um, and like, 
it, it no part of it is like a problem for me in terms of regret. Like I do not have the body. I don't have the brain. I don't have anything. I don't have the desire. There's no part of me that's ready for a child. Um, my husband either since then, it was like, I walked through something that in ways that are very personal to me, I don't even think I'd want to share it publicly, but in ways that I knew were personal to me that made sense to me. Um, there was something about that experience, even in like the experience of getting pregnant. That was my first time getting pregnant Mm -hmm. that somehow activated something. And since that moment of termination, I'm really a pregnancy. It's like, there's been a greater sense of urgency in my body to be like, wake up and see me, wake up and be with me, wake up, wake up, wake up. And so since that time, it's kind of been like one thing after another, it's been depression, it's been wild hormone imbalances. It's been all this chronic pain, pelvic pain, breast issues, like all these things. And I, for so long was stuck in this really hard space of being like, well, this is just because I fucked up. I made a mistake and now I'm being kind of punished with all this. And that's, it's not true. It was that all these things were in there and I had the gift of being, I mean, you know, say what you will about it. I, that it's a threshold, just like anything else. And I was honored to be able to walk it. There are a lot of privileges with being able to receive a termination. And I'm happy that I was able to do that. Um, but it sure as hell did wake me up to a lot that I don't know that I, it's interesting because whether I had kept the child or not, I would have gone through that probably. (laughs) Um, but to all that to be said is like, I am in the midst of a sexual reawakening that is pretty powerful. And that is really directly related to that experience because now the first thing I noticed after that was like, there were things that were all of a sudden completely intolerant to me, like wearing a bra, which I no longer do, like shaving my armpits, which I no longer do, like being touched in certain ways, being kissed in certain ways, like unacceptable. <laughs> like it literally like, wow. and it's not yeah. even like a thinking thing. It's just yeah. like, I cannot do this anymore. Yeah. Um, and I know that that was in there before mm. and it's like, but now it's, the, the veil is so much thinner that now it's unacceptable for me to not experience that. And so, um, mm. interestingly, because I'm married to a straight man, it's brought me really back into this idea of like, I always knew that I was queer from the time I was born. I'm not sure how I knew there was nobody who talked about that, but I always knew like I liked everybody and I was interested in everybody. <laughs> But I think I like learned how to play straight somehow because I was not gay and got very sensitive about appearing like, I don't know what I got because I was very out in my teenage years. And then when I was in my twenties was kind of like, I sucked it all back in Mm. and like, kind of was like, well, I look like this because this is how I look this is how I'm supposed to look. Mm -hmm. And it was like, all of a sudden my body was like, absolutely not. So I'm kind of like following it 
but it's just like, I'm completely at a beginner's level with it. So, so much has changed and, and I am navigating all the time, like, and was before, like, what is it like to be a queer person in relationship with a straight person? And mm -hmm. that's an ever evolving conversation with mm -hmm. he and I, with myself, but like truly, I feel like I'm at the very beginning of a road that will probably stretch out for decades. That's kind mm -hmm. of like, I, I put some kind of tamp on very young mm -hmm. and continued to tamp in my younger years. And then I woke up from my termination and all the, all of it was gone. Mm -hmm. And you know what I mean? So it's just been this very slow process of like, realizing that there isn't anything wrong with that because mm -hmm. I really thought I really thought for a while that there was because I didn't really understand you know yeah yeah so it's been a really it's been intense you know it's been yeah. really intense but a gift yeah yeah I think I mean thank you for sharing that and I I think that in a, in a really interesting way, I think your story is, is very, is so queer and it really speaks to <laughs> like what queerness actually is to me at least, which is, yeah. is like such a, an expansive experience and very much, I think the reason I personally have never related to like quote unquote coming out stories or whatever is, yeah. is like as if there's an event that all of a sudden <laughs> you know, made me gay or all of a sudden I was gay, you know, and, and instead I think that it's, it's, yeah, it's like these different layers of, I think so many people in the queer community have done a version of what you did, which is like tamping down parts of the self, you know, yeah. whether or not it, yours kind of manifested in like visually appearing to be straight or something like that. Something, but, yeah. yeah. Some, some version of that, but, but a lot of people I think are really, you know, even if they're really comfortable appearing to be visually queer, whatever reading is queer, they're all sorts of things, all sorts of aspects of our sexuality or our sense of desire that are, you know, off limits or whatever. And so I think that, you know, this idea of like un the unfolding of sexuality is so important to talk about. And as our bodies change, as we have these like whatever it makes us makes me you know feel old say of it like you know I mean it's it's our bodies are changing we're like we're really expanding into yeah. different parts of ourselves and you had you know a really complicated experience that I can't imagine how it could not impact who you are as a person with desire and a person with a body like a you yeah. know this body has ever evolving needs and feelings and thoughts. I don't know. I just think that that's, I think because of the lineage of oppression of yeah. gay people and all of the violence that continues to happen, you know, to yeah. LGBTQ people, it, there is sort of a way of where we hold on, I think, to a fixed, the fixed nature of our identity. And yeah, just, the, I mean, part of what I want to do with this podcast is sort of open up different aspects of what it means to be a queerly bodied person, you know? And so totally. I, I really appreciate what you're bringing to it Aww. because the, the kind of health body embodiment aspect of it is really, I think will resonate with a lot of people. It's just not something we necessarily talk about. Um, 
And thank you for doing this podcast because I feel like I was so looking forward to this conversation because I so rarely get to have it. You know, mm. it's it's hard to know where there's a home for this kind of conversation. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you were talking, it made me realize something that there is so much, I think some of the parts of me that are coming up now and that I'm really been sitting in some deep meditation around is really like what it is to be in a queer bisexual body because um again I don't there are no out gay folks in my family no queer folks in my family that are out to me or that are maybe in awareness of them and I have a very big family so I'm you know I'm using that in respect (laughs) not that I know (laughs) um And no one ever talked about it. No one ever had gay friends. And I just always knew there was no there. And that's part of the magic of queerness. I think that we like some of us just kind of know and some of us Mm -hmm. don't and both are magical. But I think I remember just feeling so proud to be bisexual when I learned that word. I was like, oh, there's a word for me. Mm-hmm. that resonates with me. Mm-hmm. And then I think with the conditioning of how people, a lot of people treat bisexual people, mm. there, was a, there was a part of me that felt, I think, internalized pressure to be one or the other. It was like, I gave into that. And I remember when I married my husband, like I really kind of grieved that. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he is like, he has never sexualized my queerness. He has never sexualized my my bisexuality, which by the way, isn't a problem. But even when we were 24, he just never sexualized that. He like Mm. understood that it was, it was who I am and it was great. And he was not interested in like watching me fuck another woman, which Mm -hmm. also is great. And I'm not here to say that it is not, but even in his twenties, he was just like, I have queer and bi friends. I think it's, it's beautiful. It'll always be a part of you. And I know that it will always be a part mm. of you. So I couldn't ask for a better partner in that. But um, there is still grief in like the experience of like, it's kind of like temperance in the tarot. It's like, how can we, we're, we're all these things and all queer folks are, but like think that identity coming back to that, coming back home to that and mm-hmm. home to some of the experiences where I wasn't seen in all my colors and all my vibrance. Um, I think a lot of queer people, bisexual or not, like I know that that is some of the deepest wounding in the community is like, mm-hmm. please see me, please, please hear me, please respect me. And mm-hmm. like, I just like walked so far away from that. It was mm. like, I never forgot, but I just walked so far away to the point where just a couple months ago, I realized for the first time in like a little bio on Instagram, when I was kind of like a little bit about me, it was the first time I'd ever publicly said I was queer. <laughs> I just never mentioned it. Like, I don't know why I was just always like, well, like whatever people know or they don't, I don't know. But like, it really helped me to think about well, like, where, where am I with this? Mm-hmm. You know, cause it's, it's been a huge part of my life since I was born basically. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, th- I know that I know enough to know that so much of my body pain had to do with the suppression of that kind of wild duality, you know, mm. and that, 
inability to be defined and Mm -hmm. simplified. And I'm like kind of getting to a point where I am actually like, yeah, boo, we're not labelable. Mm -hmm. And like, fuck anyone who tries. And that's great. You know, like, but it's like, I, I just kind of like, I don't know. I'm really in a place of kind of seeing how I just sort of subconsciously forgot about all like shut it away. And now I'm kind of ready to open it back up. And that's sort of been where I've been at lately, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I just wanted to share that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's, it's interesting. I know about your background as, you know, a theater person and you are not that you have to be a theater person, not that being a theater person means you're gay at all, just putting that out there. But yeah. if you have, if anyone <laughs> has listened to Lynn's Refuge, yeah, like talk about being into theater or like this, the interview with Jack on mm-hmm. your, which episode that was on your, your podcast? Queen of Wands. Queen yeah. of Wands. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that is it's so gay. I mean, it's like, it's so, it's, it's the, and you, and that's, it's so interesting because I think that that's, um, a big part of like how I experienced you even when we first met. And, Mm -hmm. and so it's, it's interesting to hear about the ways that these parts of yourself have kind of come back into, into a more embodied, you know, awareness. Definitely. Um, yeah. It makes me feel really happy that you always felt that. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I was totally. never, I've never been like in the closet. Actually, no. never in my life. But like, I just never was said it. I just never mentioned it. I'm not sure why I never did. I'm more, yeah. I'm extremely private in general. Yeah. It's weird. Like I'll open up on things like this, but if left, like I'm more of a listener than a talker, you know? So I just sort of like, Never, I don't know why, but like, it's been really great to get to like, come back home to it, but mm. that really makes me feel so seen. Thank you for sharing it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe we could talk a little bit about being a private person and mm-hmm. having a very public life in a way, a professional life, um, and how you've navigated that recently as, you know, with with some of the health stuff you've been going through and Mm -hmm. just, yeah, I think it could be helpful for other people to hear how, you know, coming into our bodies, whether through illness or chronic illness or a diagnosis or Mm -hmm. whatever it might be, burnout, you know, work burnout, spiritual reasons, whatever, that, that kind of what sort of transformation you've gone through and how you've, you know, established some boundaries in your life or started doing things differently. Um, yeah. I'm so happy to. Um, so the simple answer is that I feel like I'm still learning, um, how to be a pretty private person in a like semi-public way. Mm -hmm. Um, it is really weird Uh, I don't like it sometimes, but it's an honor to get, like, I'm happy that people like my work. And in general, 99.9% of the time, people are very respectful and very kind. And, you know, Um, what is interesting is that has also been a fairly recent energetic shift in me, Mm. where I would say before summer of 2018, 
I never felt like my container was really sealed and I didn't understand. I, I really was like always kind of seeking that out, searching that out. I could not understand. I was kind of like, I'm like doing all the things. I don't really know why, but I'm always feeling like someone's hand is just coming into my container, multiple hands or something. And I remember around that time and prior to that, like I think that I had an idea of how I should be seen or be perceived um, to do this work. Like I had a really strong sense of like, well, I don't want people to see me in discomfort. I can talk about my past experiences, but I want, I don't want to burden them. It was never in an, in an, in a desire to appear like flawless because God knows certainly that is not my bag, but <laughs> it was like, there was this thing, this weird thing happened where at the same time I started to wake up very harshly to my lapse in boundaries in a certain, in a couple of different areas. And I started to realize that I had to tighten them up very strongly. And some people had to go without any kind of explanation. Nice people, people who you might not think I would ever need to have a boundary around, but I did. And as soon as that got cleared up, I felt better. Mm. And the container started to feel more solid and there was quite a bit of it, but, um, the, the reclamation of how I need boundaries and not how other people need boundaries or how the next person needs boundaries, really not caring if some people feel like it's mean. I know I'm not mean. It's just what I need. So reinstating that was a really big deal. And kind of at the same time, because I think it felt safer, I started to just share more. So when I have a flare up, usually I talk about it. Whereas I didn't really do Mm. that before because it feels safer to be in the people who are in the container now. Like mm. I feel like I, I just don't have those, or at least not that I'm aware of right now, but I, I just had like a couple of like real stringy people who really rippled out a lot of weirdness. And um, mm-hmm. so, I mean, I think in answer to your quite this sort of a loquacious answer, obviously, but like the strongest boundaries without crowding anyone out or without using them as a wall but that is kind of how I navigate being a private person in a semi-public way and really letting my intuition feel into whether or not something that I'm going through is something that I feel like sharing Mm -hmm. because a lot of the time I just don't feel like sharing yeah you know yeah um but the thing that actually changed it for me was the initial pelvic flare-up. Like I took that to Instagram and got, it's part of the reason why I'm, I feel better actually in general is because mm. a lot of people gave me recommendations. So that was one of the first times that mm. um, I kind of let myself be courageous enough to reach out to community and they really came through. <laughs> so like, I'm just learning, you know, mm-hmm. one step at a time. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of weird and hard, but it's, I feel like a lot of privilege for it. So Mm -hmm. it's okay, you know? So being, being more boundaried and erecting the boundaries that you needed or establishing the boundaries that you needed, it, how did you, how did you actually feel in yourself? It sounds like you felt safer. Mm -hmm. You felt like this this idea of the container, but what was what do you know how to describe that feeling of feeling safer or feeling more freed up? It almost sounds like it's you know it 
boundaries made you feel more free in a way. Yeah. Yeah. It was a relief because with a couple of those people, I kind of knew that it wasn't good or that we were bouncing off of each other in a strange way or maybe Mm. that, and I'm willing to consider that maybe I was triggering them and I was feeling part of that trigger. Like definitely not here to say like they were assholes, but, um, cause I know that a lot of people I'm sure like, you know, they're, they're loved in their own communities, obviously like nobody's bad, you know, it's fine. But, um, I just spent so much energy trying to be like, was that mean? Was that weird? What they just said? Was that yeah. like a slight what, you know? And it just got to the point where I felt so like, um, I, I just got to the point where it was enough and just cleared it out. And I knew upon doing it, how much better I felt. I felt so relieved mm. that I was like, Oh, well, I was right. You yeah. know, that there was, probably this looping that we were doing with each other where it was just like trigger, trigger, trigger. And I was like, I'll just be the one to hit the block button or the unfollow button. Like, I'll just be the one to say, I'm not available to talk, but maybe sometime in the future, wish you well. Like, I'll just be that guy to do Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it made it so much easier Mm. because it has nothing to do with like not liking anybody, but like, this is my sacred space, man. Like I don't owe you anything. Mm -hmm. And so that really helped. Mm -hmm. Um, that was in the summer. And then, um, yeah. So the feeling of just like that autonomy, um, I think prior to that, I had always like harbored this notion that difficult people were really here to teach me something. It was like leftover bullshit from having an abusive parent. It was like, this is a lesson, whatever. And I was like, you know, sometimes you just can close the door. And like, that's the lesson, the end, you know? So Mm. I think that was kind of the start of, of also, again, this body as kid, as partner, as consort being like, I don't want to play with this person. Stop, stop Mm -hmm. putting me on their page. Stop talk, stop acting like we want to have coffee. I don't want to have coffee with this person. Just don't write back. Mm -hmm. And like, believe it or not, it took me so long to learn. I feel like I just started to do that. And um, now it just feels like everybody in the circle that I, I don't know if it's a circle, but I feel like everyone that comes in and out of my work container is very friendly. And even mm. if they're not, it's like, you know, it's, it's rare, you know, but yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, it just, it changed a little bit about that. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was a big yeah. change, huge change. Yeah. I want to maybe talk a little bit more about this younger, like the lessons you're learning from listening to maybe the younger part of you and some of the things that mm-hmm. that part may have not gotten but needed. And I I wonder if we could talk about it in in relationship to the idea of like food and nourishment um, because... I know that that's something, yeah, (laughs) you have, you have spoken a bit publicly about, you know, around, but prior to a lot of this health stuff, but just spoken about the idea of not learning how to do that kind of on a fundamental level, not only growing up in basically because of, you know, because of growing up in a, like a traumatic household that it just felt like 
very few parts of you are actually nourished. And yeah, and I think that sometimes, I mean, certainly health issues can force us into confrontation with taking care of our vulnerable parts. Um, And (laughs) yeah, but, but yeah, talk a little bit about that. I would be happy to. This area is like, once again, and I, and I also feel like I want to say this, you didn't ask me this, but for anyone listening, like, I hope that whether you are a space holder or not, that you'll continually Like, I appreciate this opportunity to get to talk about these things and I'm very on the edge of learning. And I feel like it's really important to hear space holders talk about where they're uncomfortable. So I just want to say that. Thank you um, for providing Mm -hmm. that opportunity for so many of us to get to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And secondly, what you're talking about, I feel like is literally the final frontier of my life. It's the biggest lesson of my life. It's every day. Food was the only comfort. It was the only love. It was not consistent when I was growing up. I often was hungry. Um, I grew up very poor. And when I got it, I had to kind of hoard it and have a lot of it. I never really, and I also have an enormous amount of food intolerances and allergies that I just didn't know about. So I just got used to that sense of like the brain fog that comes with like SIBO and gut overgrowth and the things that come from uh, having a gluten intolerance and eating it every day of your life, like all that stuff. Mm. That that has also very recently as well has also changed because um, I finally, after like 35 years basically of being like, I literally do not know what to eat. Everything causes me pain. Everything's a problem. Um, I just started an autoimmune paleo protocol and it's been completely changing my life. And I, I wouldn't necessarily promote that cause that's not right for everybody, but sure. um, it has been a very deep lesson for me. And I think it's come at exactly the right time for me because mm-hmm. I never ever could have, or would have done it prior to when it came into my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can just say that for most of my life, I spent my time really using food or alcohol or sugar or whatever as like an abusive tool, essentially, to keep me at a level of joy and nourishment that felt comfortable, that was Mm -hmm. lacking, and um, kept me moving a little slower so that I didn't feel the full intensity of my self Mm -hmm. energy. Yeah, yeah. And that's all changed recently. It's pretty much like a comfort, it's not a confrontation, but it's, it's definitely like, there's a moment of reckoning almost every day of being like, my brain really wants this and my body does not. So I'm going to go with my body, but I have to work with my brain on it. And the more I pull the thread and the more the sweater comes apart, it's like, that's really where all this began is like, Mm. there's no part of my body that really wants X, Y, or Z. It's really the brain. And if the brain wants it, then it wants to use it in some way that will potentially limit me, keep me a little smaller, you know, if it doesn't quite match with those two. And it's just really been helping me to untie even like 
ancestral shit that's gone back in my family generations of mm. like people who just used food or alcohol to dull whatever power they had moving through them. And I think that's a pretty common story. And mm-hmm. even to the point where very recently, like I put together that even though no one in my family does work like I do, I come from a family of intuitives and it took me a very long time to realize like that was present. It's present in my mother. It's present in her father. It was present in his mother. So like, um, and all of us have brain issues. Like my grandfather died of a brain tumor. His mother died of Alzheimer's. I have a brain aneurysm that somehow exists in my head without rupturing. It's probably the most magical thing about me. (laughs) You know, my mom has, severe mental illnesses and uh, other uh, things neurologically. Um, But we all share this kind of like brain body intersection. Hmm. And I feel like um, every time now that I reach for what I know nourishes me, it changes the way I reach for things in my everyday life. Like it's completely changed the way, um, I'm relating to people around me, my social life, my husband, my care, my, my experience with nature. Like it's opened up a lot of things for me. Like we might even be moving and where we would be moving would be to a far more nature based area. And Mm -hmm. I think that it's kind of all connected to that too. Mm. So this is all quite new because this is, this is really like kind of where I'm at in the cycle of my life right now is like reclaiming all of this that I think my kid knew all of this like the older I get the more I'm like oh my god like six-year-old Lindsay was really smart about a lot of stuff and I need to go back to the drawing board to like call on that you know yeah yeah yeah, it's just been really Mm life-changing in ways that are kind of crazy you know Mm -hmm. yeah and even like Sorry to interrupt. No, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I'm talking so much. Um, like a couple of days ago, this is an example of yeah. something that I'm really actively dealing with right now. About a week ago, I heard my guide say, no more coffee. And I was like, that's unacceptable. And I won't. <laughs> yeah, right. And Michelle, who obviously you also know, was like, yeah, they've been saying that for like years. So <laughs> when are you gonna get you, on that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like she's kind of like, you are done with coffee. Mm. And I was like, that's not, I don't accept it. <laughs> it's just like, I don't accept it. And I just stopped the day before my birthday. And I was like, well, I'll just see. And then I had tea and my my pelvis it didn't respond well to it. It hasn't before. And I was like, okay, I guess no tea either. And so, um, it has been really, this has been powerful because it's taken me. And again, we're talking about coffee. This is a very privileged conversation, but it's taken me into some pockets of myself where I've been like, well, what actually wants to be fed in place of that? If there's no coffee right now, if there's no caffeine, if there's no chocolate, because right now I can't do chocolate either. Um, If there are none of those holes being filled, because those are like the big three. I was like, I can give up dairy. That's okay. That's fine. Chocolate and like coffee. I don't know. But like, I'm on that journey right now. I'm being like Mm. really choosing something that I really don't want to do 
but in favor of my body that is so much happier without it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something that I'm very curious about seeing where it takes me because I will be honest with you. I get up in the morning and I don't have any need for it. I'm noticing, like I'm getting up in the morning and I'm fine. I have energy. I'm good. I'm not getting tired. I just want it because I want the ritual. And anyway, this has been like a 25 minute conversation about coffee, but I just want to finalize that by saying like, that's something that's been very strong in my mind with the nourishment issue. It's like, um, this actually doesn't do anything for me other than, I mean, it's delicious, obviously, but like it doesn't do anything but actually override my own supply. Mm-hmm. So it's very, it, it's just a whole new world. It really mm-hmm. is. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. It's like my last drug. It's been like years of bullshit like that. And this is like my last drug. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's, yeah. Yeah. I think that, many people listening probably can could talk for a long time about coffee so um (laughs) you know yeah affirming me yeah very much so um yeah I guess you know it makes me think that you just hearing some of these these changes that you've been making recently makes me think that you have probably had to navigate um, a lot of different people giving you advice or mm-hmm. different aspects of the health and wellness, quote unquote, wellness, whatever, you know, world. And I wonder what your thoughts are about, you know, things that you've found that have felt really like they don't resonate, um, mm-hmm. or, and not necessarily practices, but just kind of like rhetoric or I'm really interested partially because I've, I've worked so long with, you know, people who've experienced so much trauma in their bodies and Mm -hmm. do end up having to seek out, you know, multiple modalities for healing or get a lot of advice. People with eating disorders, especially that I work with, you know, really get overloaded with ideas about how to heal themselves. And, um, yeah, so I'm curious how you've sort of navigated that or, you know, yeah, how how that's been for you. Well, I will say that I was very lucky up until um December of 2017 because um I wasn't really doing anything for my body prior to that. Like I was sort of dipping in and out, but it was mostly talking and I never really had to seek out physical care until, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. recently. But the thing, it's interesting that you bring this up because the, I actually have some very strong feelings about it and my strong feelings really came up when I got diagnosed with a brain aneurysm because brain aneurysms they're rare. You can have them in your brain. They cannot rupture just in case anyone doesn't know that. And like, you're not, you didn't do anything to cause it. And you would not believe the amount of fucking people who, when I would say, you know, like just completely overloaded, terrified, they would segue with like, what do you think you did to bring that on, you know, or whatever. Or I would tell someone, and this I had a little bit more compassion for, they would freak out and really make it about themselves. 
And so after that, I stopped talking about, now I'll share it anywhere. I like wouldn't necessarily put out a press release, but like I would talk about it on this podcast, (laughs) you know, I'm like, um, let whoever listened to it, listen to it. But something got clicked in me, um, about the injustice of that. And I started to advocate for myself in a very direct way about like, I'm not available to be told that I've done anything to cause this. I'm not available for Reiki. I don't want your prayers. I just need your ear. And, you know, I just say very, very bluntly what I need. And since kind of like pelvic pain, termination, aneurysm, I've had a number of times where I've been at doctor's appointments and have just left or have been at modality appointments and have just been like, I'm so sorry, like this isn't the right fit and have just left. Um, and if it just is, if it doesn't feel right, I just don't do it. I don't really care if people are experts, you know, I just don't care, (laughs) you know, like they could be the best. And if I don't feel safe, if I don't feel like someone has acknowledged me, if I feel like nobody cares about my experience with something, then, you know, um, I've sort of, because being projected upon, assumed upon, having someone be not trauma sensitive, having someone make assumptions about my experiences, having, you know, whatever it is, is very, it's like a spell, like the spell of it has an effect, at least a temporary one. And for some people, a permanent one around scarring that can happen around not being seen by your provider. Mm. And so, um, I just have learned to be really fiercely advocating for myself. And if I don't get what I need, I just go away. Mm-hmm. I just leave, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. cause I don't like a lot of what I've received, but it's like, um, I've just been so fucking clear about what I won't accept or work with mm-hmm. that. Um, people usually respect it, you know? <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think that's so, it's just so important for a lot of people who are listening to hear because, and me as well, because I think that if you've experienced cumulative body trauma, PTSD, Mm -hmm. any kind of cumulative trauma, that there are so many messages in the health and wellness stratosphere that that are intended, I think, you know, clearly to be about bringing together the body-mind, you know, connection. And I think that's a good intention and it's helped me a lot in my life. But, you know, to realize I live in my head most of the time, you know, all these things, right? You know, it's it's a complicated thing, but I think it, what you're speaking about is within, within a kind of desire to receive healing or ease or, you know, comfort in your body to, to kind of, there's so many things that can kind of trigger old stories about, you know, your body being wrong or your experience being, and I'm not speaking just about you, but one's experience, right. You know, um, and so often, I mean, I've, I've experienced this and I, I know, you know, many of my patients have where it, it becomes very difficult especially, I think actually, especially in this like more new age, holistic, you know, healing world, right? Like the wellness industrial complex kind of thing Mm -hmm. that at least this is my kind of soapbox thing is that, you know, that, that 
when the messaging is not trauma-informed, and it it kind of must be because so many people who have who deal with chronic pain also have experienced cumulative trauma. And if it's not sort of nuanced and trauma-informed, I think it can just be so damaging and actually, you know, yeah, so damaging. So I think it's really important to hear how you've kind of navigated that by tuning in to what does and doesn't feel good mm-hmm. for you while also addressing, you know, old patterns that you have engaged in throughout your life that haven't, that feel like they feel good. Like the, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, drinking out al- like alcohol feels like it feels good. And then it, it doesn't, it's, it's like that, that difference. There's a yeah. difference between that kind of discernment and the idea that um, you wouldn't know what kind of healing modalities or what kind of healing would feel good or right for you, you know? That's right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah. I think that's, it's important. It's hard for me to, to really be too specific about that because I don't, I, I don't, there's no one way of totally addressing the problem. I think that it's just, yeah, that it's, it's nice. It's helpful to hear stories like yours too. So that people I think can either advocate for themselves or more importantly, I think just learn how to relate to um, like bodily suffering and psychic suffering on their own terms and, and kind of, yeah, not be told what it means. Yeah, especially when it's when there's messaging out there about a lot of spiritual bypassing or being able to, you know, heal yourself with your mind and with your good intentions and positivity, all that. Yeah, you know, yeah, Um, that's for sure. Yeah, so I appreciate that. I guess you know we could talk forever, but I think we, you know, we need to start wrapping it up. But um, (laughs) I, the last question I would like to ask is you know, kind of starting at the beginning, if you could go back and say something to a younger part of yourself or maybe even compel someone else to say something to a younger part of yourself, what do you think is something that younger Lindsay would like to have heard or needed to hear? I think she would have really wanted to hear that she was truly perfect in every way that her body was put together perfectly, even though it sometimes is a little rusty. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And that she is a warrior motherfucker like no one else has been because she's been carrying all of this for all parts of us for years. Mm -hmm. And like the more, the deeper I get into this, the more I go down this journey the more I keep coming back to reconnections with six-year-old me, 12-year-old me, 16-year-old me who've been holding all of this mm-hmm. for my adult self yeah. and like um, acknowledging the work of our younger selves, the labor, I think is a precious gift to give. Mm-hmm. Like just acknowledging little lens and being like, I see you and you're, the strongest of the strong. Yeah. And now I'm getting to the point where I've got it for you. 
Mm. And you don't have to hold it anymore. Mm-hmm. That's what keeps me from like, that is the motivator for me now. It was like, so you don't have to hold it anymore. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause yeah. she's a good one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's take yeah. some off her plate, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, let's talk a little bit about what you're up to lately um, or coming up. What's going on for you and how can people learn about everything that you do? So they can, my website is lindsaymack.com and you can start there. My Instagram, that is the only social media that I'm on and that's at Wild Soul Healing. I have a podcast called Tarot for the Wild Soul and Mm -hmm. Check that out wherever they listen to podcasts, yeah, just anywhere, just yep. anywhere. Um, I always have new classes and offerings coming up. I mm-hmm. have three, one of them about working with the really sweet cards of the tarot, which is harder than most people think. Um, another one about looking at tarot through the view of the zodiacal year of the wheel. So mm. starting with the Aries cards and moving into Pisces mm. um, called Spiralic Tarot. And then I have a course on intuition and listening to the body, which is coming up on Halloween. And that's called Ooh. Inner Voice. Oh. And yeah, so I've got some good new stuff coming up. All of that is either information forthcoming or it is on my website at lindsaymack.com. Cool. You know, I wonder the last question I have is what was it like to spend this whole conversation not talking about tarot? I loved it. It was great. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) People know, people are going to know what you're, what you do, but it's great to me to, yeah, to not talk about it was such a blast because I got to talk about literally nothing that I've ever really talked about before. Oh. So it was such a joy. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I of course. It. Thank you. Um, 